0: So uh, let's open in prayer. Father, we thank you for today. We are so grateful just to stop and take a breath and realize that you exploded out of the grave 2,000 years ago, and that literally changed the course of humanity. Some don't see that. Some don't recognize that. And, Father, we, uh, we pray that you will speak to them today, first to understand that there is a God and secondly, to understand that he's revealed himself in very significant ways in, in his son, Jesus. Father, I'm praying that you will uh, speak to people right where they are. Lord, I'm asking you that would, you would do that. In the strong name of Jesus, amen, amen. So let me ask you a question. Uh, who was Jesus? I say, well, that's yeah, easy. Well, it's really not as easy as you might think in first blush. Who was Jesus? I mean, people think that he was radically uh, different in different ways, right? Some suggest that it was an, an enlightened Jesus. You ever had that? Well, Jesus was enlightened. Well, what does enlightened even mean? Well, Jesus was further along the path than any other human being in humanity, and so his understanding of kind of uh, our existence down here was stronger than anybody else had it. So he was enlightened Jesus. Deepak Chopra talks a lot about enlightened Jesus. Oprah Winfrey talks about enlightened Jesus. Listen to what Deepak Chopra said, according to Reuters. He says, I want to offer the possibility that Jesus was truly, as he proclaimed, a Savior, but not the Savior. Not the one and only Son of God, no, Jesus embodied the highest level of enlightenment. He spent his brief adult life describing it, teaching it, passing it on to future generations. Jesus intended to save the world by showing others the path to God consciousness. Maybe you're in that camp here this morning, you say, you know what, Jesus was enlightened. I mean, he was obviously, he was iconic. I mean, nobody, we know, we, know, we know more about Jesus than we know about virtually anybody, certainly from 2,000 years ago. Jesus clearly was enlightened, and I would agree with you that he was enlightened. But here's the question, was he more than enlightened? Some people would say, you know, Jesus was a moral paragon. Jesus was like the template for morality, Morality is vitally important in our culture. Everything's going, you know. We need to learn to treat each other better. We need to to live in a world where there's morality. And yet, if you dispossess yourself of God, everything's permissible once God's out of the picture. God doesn't exist, then it's preference. You can have a preference for a particular behavior, but you can't say it's immoral, you can say, well, we wouldn't prefer it to be that way as a culture because it's harmful to our kids, it's harmful when you steal from me, it's harmful when there's raping and pillaging of the world. We hate that, we hate genocide, we hate all that stuff, but you can't fundamentally say it's immoral, there's no lawgiver, there is no law. You may say, well, it's survival of the fittest. Well, then, if that's only the case and it's tooth and claw and that's what happens in the animal kingdom... Then if I take your life, you can take mine, but whoever survives is the fittest. Was Jesus this, that, a moral paragon? Let me ask you another question. Was Jesus just a profound teacher? Well, he was definitely a teacher. But was was Jesus really no different than Confucius? I mean, Confucius say, right? I'm going to read you a list of things. I'm going to ask you, who, who might this be attributable to? To know what you know and what you do not know, well, now that's true knowledge. Now that sounds good. People always talk about what they don't know and they don't even know what they don't know. That sounds good. I'm going to base my life on that. Confucius can help you do that because he's the guy who spoke that. Or how about humility is the solid foundation of all virtues Well, that sounds biblical. That sounds really good because the Bible even says things like that, you know, pride goeth before a fall. And if you want to be exalted, right before exaltation comes humility. Well, those are true things. And that's good that that's taught because I think in a culture, it's nice to have humility rather than just arrogance and boastfulness and Twitter accounts that just kind of go wild, right? I mean... No, we don't want that. We want humility. We're drawn to the humble, and therefore, that should be a moral thing that we we should try to strive for morality. Well, that's good. I would agree with that. Confucius said that too. How about real knowledge is to know the extent of one's own ignorance, Confucius? It doesn't matter how slowly you go, as long as you don't stop. Well, I kind of like that. But has anybody in here held onto a stock maybe a month or too long? Too long? You know what I'm talking about. I mean who who in here still has blockbuster stock? <laughs> I mean, well, it's not going so well. This streaming Netflix thing is really, you know, putting a crimp in my get along here. Maybe I well, so that's applicable in some ways, but to never stop and always, well, in some ways, that's true. That's good stuff. Confucius said that. And listen to the last thing Confucius says about reality as a teacher. Never give a sword to a man who can't dance. I'll be honest with you, I don't even know what that means. (laughs) But it sounds good. It sounds good. So never give me a sword. I can promise you that. Well, let me ask you this question. So we like enlightened Jesus, the culture at large likes, likes teacher Jesus. We like grandmother Jesus grandmother somehow it's kind of like comfort food a little bit you know you like that you like to go to grandma's house she makes you feel maybe a little bit like your childhood while you were protected and you didn't when you back when you didn't think about having to pay the bills or all those other you know grandma jesus and jesus might have loved grandma but that's for grandma i mean that's jesus for old women and people who need hope in the latter end of their life grandma jesus Guru Jesus, enlightened Jesus, teacher Jesus, will the real Jesus stand up? And here's the differentiation. The Jesus that we're talking about here this morning began to prophesy hundreds of years in advance of, now catch this, his, the assault on his life, that he would be brutally murdered, but that he would rise again. And when he told his disciples that as teacher Jesus... Or even as Messiah Jesus who was going to help take over the Roman world and give them their nation back, they couldn't hear it. No, 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 we need you to rise up and be the king. We need you to rise up and, oh, we don't like living under the constraints of these Romans. People had all kinds of ideas about Jesus and they wanted Jesus to fit into their little picture of what they wanted him to be. And we still do the same thing. It's no different 2,000 years later. Some people have Buddha Jesus. What is Buddha Jesus? Buddha Jesus is like, go rub the the belly of the Buddha if you need something. Go rub the belly. You know, Jesus, invoke his name. Do something if you need something. But there's not any much more to that, to Jesus, than that. But then this gets real uncomfortable. And this is where we will get uncomfortable. Or, but if we don't go through this discomfort, we won't get to great, true comfort at the end of this message. And that is Jesus talked about his own blood being shed way before he ever went to the cross. Luke chapter 22, it's moments before the cross. And he turns at the, at the very last meal, we call it the last supper, and he said this. He says, And in the same way he took the cup after they had eaten, saying, This cup which is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood not this is in the new covenant through my enlightened teaching that is not what he said this is going to require blood now you can be offended by that hey that is barbaric that is absurd who in this 21st century can think about that kind of a jesus i mean that is for another time and another place not according to jesus Not according to Jesus. Well, here's the problem. When you begin to say, why? Why would the blood need to be shed? The horrific answer to that is because of Jeffrey Cranford, because of you and your sin, because of our collective sin. We have separated ourselves from His Father, and He wanted us back. Listen to what He said in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 7. In Him... Paul said this to the church at Ephesus, we have redemption. Now, before you haze off and your eyes began to roll back in your head, what is redemption? It's taking possession of something again uh, because they have a debt or something and it requires a payment of some sort. To redeem something is to bring something out of jail, to get the possession back, to, to redeem it in some way. And, and Paul said this, in him we have this kind of retaking, this redemption, Through his teaching. No, it's not what he said. He said, through his blood. The forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. Look, he did this, you know. This was 100% Jesus on our behalf. Paul said, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. While we were helpless and alienated from the king of the universe, he was out there making a plan to have the most barbaric and cruel death you've ever seen, naked and ashamed up on a cross, bleeding out seven different times in perfect fulfillment of Scripture. Now, seven meant a lot to the Jewish nation. Seven was a number of completion. He was pierced through his hands and his feet. He was beat around the face, a crown of thorns, you know. He had his beard plucked out. He was beaten up to a bloody pulp with fists on his face, all because of the shedding of blood. And not just once, but then the cat of nine tails seven different times. You say, why do you talk about this? I mean, we were having a nice Easter. We were going to be doing bunnies and Easter egg hunts and all kinds of stuff today, and we're all in our best clothes, and you're here talking about blood? That happened on Good Friday. But look, there's no Good Friday there's no crucifixion of Jesus, then there is no resurrection, and we're all wasting our time here. See, what we're celebrating, many of us here this morning, is the explosion of Jesus out of the grave. Peter said it well. Now, Peter, you got to understand, Peter, he was a mess. I mean, Peter was a fisherman. He was, a, he was probably a brawny guy. I look forward to meeting Peter one day in heaven. Peter was there, and, and he, he wanted to follow Jesus, but you wonder why Peter was so aggressive. Why was he so wanting to follow? He wanted a position. He was a nobody, and here's a somebody, at least people around the Galilean region were saying, he's a somebody. We've seen him do some extraordinary things. And Jesus came and said, why don't you drop your net and follow me, Peter? And Peter's like, well, i got no better other options. And he did, and he got caught up in the swirl of just being confused and and yet at times being extraordinary when he said, Jesus said, who do men say that I am? And he said, you are Christ, son of the living God. And then yet before he died, he denied even knowing Jesus. See, Peter Peter was a big mixed bag, probably like many of us, if we're honest, feel like mixed bags at times. But after he'd seen the resurrected Jesus, listen to what he says knowing that you were not redeemed, there's that word again, with perishable things like silver or gold from your feudal way of life inherited from your forefathers. Mm -mm. This is something totally different. But with the precious blood. Now this wasn't just blood, this was precious, unblemished lamb blood. The blood of Christ. Paul also told the believing Jewish community, many people think that the Jews rejected Jesus as the Messiah. Well, as a nation, on whole, they did, but many Jewish believers were believed in Jesus. Many saw him resurrected. The Bible says upwards of 500 people saw him resurrected, and they gave their lives for what they had seen. Paul went on to tell the believing Jewish community in Hebrews 9, he says, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. Now, you can ask that. You say, well, I don't understand that. That is just weird to me. Let me ask you a question. You think, we think so lightly of justice. We really do. When it comes to God, you say, wait, and I've heard this all the time. If there was really a loving God, how, how is a loving God going to send good people like us to hell? Have you not heard that or asked that? Or maybe you're asking that question this morning. That is, just, that is oxymoronic. I don't even understand how that can be possibly true. Let me ask you a question. I'm going to give you a story because there's a friend of mine here that uh, I played golf with this last week. And uh, we were out on the golf course, and we were about hole number seven. Sorry for the golf language for you non-golfers, but I think you'll get the gist of the story. Uh, we were waiting. We, there was a twosome. That means two people playing in front of us, and we were playing four. And we were waiting on them and waiting on them the first five or six holes. And all of a sudden, they got just a little bit of a break in front of them, and there was no, nobody in front of them that they were waiting on, and they got about one par three hole ahead of us. And so the marshal came out there and buzzed out there and says, hey, you guys are out of position, meaning that we're falling behind. And you're out of position five to ten minutes, which couldn't possibly be the case. But all of us were like, oh, well, what, what, why does he think he can? I can't even imagine that, you know, and we're not out of position. In fact, the two, that's a twosome. We got, and the group behind us isn't pushing us. And we just began to make this case for why, What? what who in the, I can't, you know, who at, where does he get off? And I'm thinking in my mind, I'm thinking, we are so concerned about any little tidbit of justice, aren't we? We felt that we had been unjustly called out for being slow on the golf course. First of all, big deal. But to us, it was a big deal. There was something on the inside of us that was rumbling, like we need to set this thing straight. We need to find the marshal, tell him we weren't out of position. He probably would have already forgotten about it anyway. What is it in human beings? Let me tell you something. my dog doesn't care about that. I have a shelter at my home. I do. My, my, my daughter works at an animal hospital, and we just seem to just attract animals, you know? And I was like pretty much an animal-free household for a long time, and then all of a sudden we, we had a dog, but, and then we have, now we have another dog and we had a, a cat, and now we got another cat and we got no, another cat. and I just have hair. I, got, I constantly hair everywhere. And let me tell you something, this new dog that we just got in, I was, I was here thinking about, you know, the, even this morning, and I was kind of there on my bed, and I was reading through some things, and I looked, and this new dog that kind of came out of nowhere, that they're trying to pawn off on me, because they said, no, we'll just keep it for a week, and then we'll send it back to the shelter. <laughs> so I know, that, ultimately, that I'm in bad shape on this dog. So this is a big dog, too, and this dog came waltzing through my bedroom and looked over at me. And I looked down and I said, hello, dog. And he just looked at me and wagged his tail and squatted and started peeing all over my carpet. I felt a tremendous sense of injustice. My dog felt no sense of responsibility. My dog went out. I'm telling you, 10 seconds later, that dog did not think, you know what? I need redemption through the blood. I need, something needs to appease this guilty conscience of mine. He didn't anymore think. That's what distinguishes you from the rest of the animal creation. You're created as a human being, imago Dei, in the very image of God. And because of that, You have moral certitude on the inside of you. You can squelch it. You can push it down. You can harden your heart to it. But deep down, you know there are moral imperatives. It is not just, this is my preference that we don't beat old women over the head when they leave a restaurant. That is not just a preference. It's a moral imperative. We have this in our very soul. And when we deny it, we deny justice at all. But it's an inconvenient truth to have a God that requires justice. But how does he do that? Isaiah 59, 16 says, he looked down and he wanted to find someone to intercede. But you know what? He found nobody. He found nobody to intercede. So what did he do? He sent his own right arm. That is 700 years before Jesus came to earth. Now, you want to say, well, one thing about all religions, all religions have some kind of, you know, no, all religions are not the same, and all religions do not move in the same direction, and this is distinctively different, and I'll give you one thing, and if you come to church the Red Door, you'll know this well. Not one prophetic word was written about any of the other religious leaders in advance of their time. Not one prophetic word was written about Muhammad, and yet Muhammad made great statements, although he never claimed to be God, he claimed to be a great teacher. Jesus claimed more than that. He claimed to be the truth and the life. He wasn't pointing in the direction of truth. He said, I am the truth. And when you understand the depth of what Jesus said, you cannot, you can call him a lunatic, you can call him a liar, but you cannot, you cannot say that he was a good teacher if he made such absurd claims and then wasn't raised from the dead. I can tell you right now, as much as I may like or respect or whatever, Confucius' grave, his, his grave is still with us. Stephen Hawking, who many of you know, and I was a well-respected physicist, astrophysicist, and he, got, he went beyond the pale of science and what he understood. Science, by its very nature, is only meant to, to unpack the visible realm, the seen realm. Anything beyond the seen realm is the metaphysical realm. Science is even equipped to answer those questions. Who are you really? Where did you really come from? And why do you matter? None of those questions can it really ultimately answer. It can answer process. But Stephen Hawking moved beyond the pale and went on into the metaphysical realm and began to say, well, there is no God based upon my scientific understanding. Science doesn't disprove an unseen dimension at all. It's not even equipped to do that. How can, how can science, which only deals with the seen realm, deal at all with an unseen dimension called the heavenly realm or the kingdom of heaven or other things that it was referred to by, by Jesus and others throughout the Scripture, by its very definition? It requires philosophy and theology and an understanding of try to how to get to the best. Well, you know, I'm a scientist. That's good. You can understand process. And I am so thankful for science. I love my iPhone, even though I don't like to have it most of the time. But I, I appreciate the fact that I can call or Google something or or do something. You know, it's just an amazing thing. It's an amazing guy. I, I appreciate science, but stay in your lane, science. You're ill-equipped to answer these questions that many of you are trying to answer. Why am I here? Well, one of the most profound things that was ever written in Scripture in advance of Jesus, and I'm saying more, I'll tell you this, more people have come to know Jesus through this passage of Scripture that I'm about to read to you than any other singular passage in the entire Old Testament, okay? Now, many people have heard just Jesus' simple claim, hey, I'm the Messiah, you know, for God so loved the world that He sent me, His only begotten Son. Whoever believes in me will not perish, but have eternal life. Now, Many people have come to Christ through that, but what about before the New Testament was written? What about, let's go back 700 years in advance of Jesus, and I'm telling you right now, what I'm about to read to you right now, I, if you don't believe me, you just challenge me. Send me into any college university class anywhere on the planet, and I will read this exact passage of Scripture, and I will go in before a class, not say who wrote it, or what it is, or from what time frame, and I'll read it, and i say, who is that talking about? And I'll guarantee you, if anybody has any knowledge at all, they'll say, well, that's about Jesus. But that, of course, comes out of the Bible. Yeah, came out of the Bible 700 years before Jesus ever existed on the earth as a man. Now, that's powerful, isn't it? We're going to take this a little bit at a time, and then we're going to close. Now, catch this. Isaiah 52, verse 13. We talked about the servant. Jesus was that servant. Behold, my servant will prosper. He will be high and lifted up and greatly exalted. First, Jesus was high and lifted up, and that was called a cross on Golgotha 2,000 years ago. And we are exalting him this morning right here at Church of the Red Door, and we've been doing it all over the valley through all the churches and everybody who's been lifting up the name of Jesus and celebrating today. He's exalted. Just as many were astonished at you, my people, now he's talking about Israel, so his appearance was marred more than any man. So, it makes a distinction between Israel and Jesus here in advance, 700 years in advance. Some people say, well, this, this all applies to Israel. No, it makes a distinction between Israel and Jesus. said, so and his form was marred more than all the sons of men. What does that mean? He's going to take a beating that he will be unrecognizable. You, I've seen some pretty gross looking things come out of these octagon fights now where they get in these octagons and they beat each other and they get these cauliflower ears and all that kind of thing and they just look, their face is all swollen, they get kicked in the face and all that kind of is that more than that. Jesus will be more than that. Thus, as a result, verse 15, he will sprinkle many nations. What does that mean? Well, when you get marred, what typically are you going to sprinkle people with? Blood, splattering all over. And he said, but no, it's not just going to be the Romans who are nailing him to a cross or in the praetorium where they were beating him beyond recognition. No, this blood will come out and in a figurative way will sprinkle every nation on the planet. kings will shut their mouths on account of him for what they had not what they had not been told they will see and what they had not heard they're going to understand who's even believed our message i mean you know some people say how do you do ministry in the coachella valley especially among the people you walk with i said people just don't really believe well all the prophets said that was going to be the case who's going to believe this story a guy being raised up out of the dead do you have a problem with that I mean, the whole raising from the dead thing. I think you have a deeper problem. Where did this creation start? How did everything come out of nothing? Now, that's a much harder question for me. Find the guy who did that, who spoke into existence something out of the great singularity that Stephen Hawking talked about, and just exploded out of nothing, and trillions of galaxies came out of nothing. Now, explain that to me. And if a guy can do that, and I say guy in a very loose way, if a creator, God, can do that or something can do that, it's not a hard step for me to say, and he might be able to bring somebody back to life. That's not a hard leap for me. A much harder leap is like, where did we come from? You're going to be in bed tonight, you're going to be thinking, where did we, I don't even know where I came from, do I mean anything, do I, am I going anywhere, am I just some kind of random cosmic chance? God says, no, you've been created with meaning and intent and purpose, and I have a plan for you through the sprinkling of the blood of my Son because I am a God of justice, and it matters. Don't think it doesn't. To whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He grew up before him like a tender shoot and like a root out of parched ground. He had no stately form or majesty that we should look upon him. In other words, this wasn't some Saul-looking guy. This wasn't George Clooney, this wasn't Tom Cruise, this wasn't any of the whoever you might think, good looking, you know, strong, virile. This was a normal looking Jewish man coming out of a normal place in human history. He was born in Bethlehem. That's like being born in Odessa, Texas. Sorry, Odessa, Texas, and all you live streamers who are from Odessa. That's a kind of a nowhereville, you know? You get there and where do you go from there? You can't even find anywhere to go from there. I mean it's just kind of you go you go to Midland, that's where you go. The only reason I say that is I have some friends there, and I love them. It's not any big deal. He's going to come out of nowhere. is it parched ground, no appearance that we should be attracted to him. And yet, despised and forsaken of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And like one whom men hide their face. He was despised, and we didn't esteem him. And surely our griefs he himself bore. Our sorrows he carried, and we ourselves esteemed him stricken, smitten of God. And here's the catch, and it gets this. But he was pierced through for, I'm going to put my name in there because it helps me, Jeff Cranford's lousy, pathetic excuse for a life, pursuing my own interest, having my own deviancies, having my own selfishness, all the things in my life. It said, no, he's afflicted for Jeff. He was crushed for Jeff's iniquities. The chastening for Jeff fell upon him. I, that's how I read it. Because I read myself into the script. And by his scourging, Jeff is healed. And let me tell you something. Before you discount this Christianity in a culture like ours, and you look back over the annals of time, billions of people would line up behind me and say, Jesus has transformed my life. Not just a belief in some, you know, spaghetti monster, you know, like Richard Dawkins called God, some tyrannical guy upstairs. No, no, no. A personal God that's gotten right into the inner core of who I am and changed the way I think and feel about reality, and now I'm part of an aspiring community that wants to be more like him. That's not outside in. That's religion. I couldn't care less about religion. Religion is meaningless to me if you define it as us trying to work our way to God. That's outside in, man. Anybody can do that. Every culture's done that for thousands, for millennia. People line up to be religious and do all kinds of religious activity. If I do this and this and this and this, maybe the great spaghetti monster will be appeased. And if there is a heaven and a hell, he won't throw me into it. And we kind of give him half our lives. That's not what Jesus wanted. He wants to change you from the inside out. All of us, like sheep, have gone astray. So that, I'm sorry, but it wasn't just me. Each of us has turned to his own way, but the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall upon him. That's Good Friday. He was oppressed, he was afflicted, and yet he didn't even open his mouth. He went like a lamb to slaughter. So those are strong words, barbaric words, 700 years before the time of Jesus. God says, this is exactly what I'm going to do. And like a sheep that is silent before its shears, so he didn't even open his mouth. We were opening our mouth because we, a guy accused us of being five minutes behind on a golf course. Jesus, perfectly innocent, knew that the weight of the world's sins was going to be hoisted upon his back for all who would believe in him. By oppression and judgment, he was taken away. And as for his generation, who even considered it? That he was cut off and out of the land of the living. For the transgression of my people to whom the stroke was due, I deserved that beating. I deserve that piercing. I deserve that cross. You say, well, that's a little bit far-fetched relative to a holy God, and from what I understand about God, it was due me, and I did deserve it. His grave was assigned with wicked men, and yet he was with a rich man in his death. Did you know that happened? Joseph of Arimathea had perfectly prophesied 700 years in advance, and then a rich man came and said, let's bury him in my, my tomb. Because he had done no violence, there wasn't any deceit in his mouth. I don't understand the next part. I mean, I understand it, but I don't understand it. But God the Father, the Lord, was pleased to crush him. Pleased? Isn't that filicide? Isn't that the taking of your own son and daughter? Who would ever follow a God who would kill his own son? I've, I've had that ask before. What kind of God do you serve? What kind of barbaric, horrible, masochistic God do you serve that would send his own son and have him slaughtered. What kind of God is that? Christopher Hitchens said, I didn't ask for that kind of God, nor do I want that kind of God. But why, did, why was the Father pleased to crush him? Well, I'll tell you. He put him to grief. If he would render himself as a guilt offering, he, God the Father, will see his offspring and he will prolong his days. What does that mean? You know what, why God was pleased? Because he's looking at us 2,000 years ago. If you are a follower of Jesus, you have become adopted into the family. You are part of the tribe of Jesus. And when God the Father saw that and saw all of us redeemed and transformed and able again to live in His presence forever, He said, I'll take this pain to get this kind of joy. But it's not just a person, it's a whole family, and it will be billions of restored and redeemed People, all those who would simply say, I choose to follow Jesus. That's why he was pleased. As a result of the anguish of his soul, he will see it, that's God, and be satisfied. Once we caught up to that group, the marshal was satisfied. But can you believe everything that's gone on? Can you imagine being God and having to look down and look at the sin that goes on every single day? Child abuse, murder, rape, theft. Bad fathering, bad mothering, kids that are disobedient and rebellious. Can you imagine having to look at every bit of that? But he's satisfied because he put it all on the back of his son. So you reject the crucifixion of Jesus and his intermediary role at great peril. I cannot be more clear than that. If you reject, look, I don't believe in a loving God. How can a loving, well, wait a minute. I, it's forever been settled in my heart that God is loving. Why? Well, how can He allow all this tragedy and all this? There can't be a loving God. Look what He did to His own Son on behalf of you, and you won't call that a loving God. Be cautious. Be cautious before you make those kinds of statements. God laid everything down to redeem humanity. We've run away from Him on our own volition. Is that His responsibility? He's made it all right, and the provision is there. Therefore, I will lot him a portion with the great. He will divide the booty with the strong, because he poured out himself unto death, and he was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he himself bore the sin of many and interceded for the transgressors. Can you imagine 700 years before? Do you think that's an exacting detail? And I could go here for the rest of the day and tomorrow and the rest of the week and the rest of the month every day teaching from morning till night and I'll show you more scripture there every bit is exacting about exactly what God's plan has been from the foundation of the earth and it involved the crucifixion of his own son and the shedding of blood to cover the earth and all those who would embrace his blood. Galatians 3 says, you are all sons and daughters of God through faith in Jesus. Do you want to be considered with him? Or have you set your life against him? Maybe not verbally, but you've set your life against the Savior. You set your life against Jesus. Maybe you've just done it by default. I don't know about all that, all that religion. That's grandma's religion. As my, par- my parents, you know my parents, you know. I mean, they, they need something to hang on. Hey, we're, we're young and beautiful. And we've got a whole world out in front of us. Have you rejected J- Jesus? Be cautious. So finally, Jesus prophesied it and he proved it. In John 10, listen to what Jesus said. I, this is important to get. Jesus said this, For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life, that I might take it again. Now that's, <laughs> i got to tell you, that's pretty cocky. I'm going to lay down my life, and oh, by the way, I'll raise it back up. Now, I've seen people boast of things. I'm going to have a big game. I'm going to win this tournament. Uh, you know, I'm going to score this many points. To, I may have heard all kinds of boasts, but this, this takes the cake. I'm going to lay my life down, and then I'm going to raise it back up again. I mean, really? That's what Jesus said. That's not good teaching if you can't pull that off. That's not enlightened. That's just weird. No one is going to take it away from me, but I lay it down on my own initiative, and I, th- this probably should grab you this morning like no other, and I have the authority to take it up again. Now, did you get that? Jesus wasn't claiming enlightenment, teacher, guru, or grandma, sweet grandma, Jesus. Jesus was claiming that he had the authority Take his own life and lay it down and then explode out of the grave on the third day. I have the authority to do it. Now, that's either true or not true. Jesus said, unless a seed fall into the ground and die, it remains alone. But if it, if it dies, it will bear much fruit. See, when he came exploding out of the grave, a lot of people don't know. A lot of other people came exploding out of the grave. And they were seen all over Jerusalem. Was Jesus raised from the dead? That's a big question. I want you to watch this. I just want you to be thoroughly, it's only a minute, minute and a half, this video. But just think. Don't just think about, oh, yeah, kind of philosophically, theologically, Jesus is raised from the dead. Try to get the gravity of Jesus being raised from the dead, and then we'll close. that possibly be true the whole world hinges on that that one thing right there everything else is fluff speculation everything is speculation if Jesus wasn't raised from the dead Jesus was a speculator and he was a liar too if he wasn't raised from the dead because he said he had the authority to raise himself back up if he didn't he was just I don't it means nothing to me what Jesus said I don't care how much it resonates with me, how much it means to me, how much I applied his principles to my life to make my life better. It doesn't mean anything if he wasn't raised from the dead, but he was. Paul, when he's speaking before the Areopagus, let me tell you something. In Athens, in Acts chapter 17, he said, look, he did it and he furnished, God furnished proof by raising him from the dead. And you know what happened? It says, many began to sneer and say well that's ridiculous and don't by the way don't think that his own disciples didn't think that was pretty ridiculous Thomas says I'm not going to believe that I mean forget it unless I feel the the very nail scars in his hands I'm not going to believe this thing unless I can put my hands on his side I'm not going to believe this they all ran Peter ran like a scared child away from even before the crucifixion even happened they all deserted him But something changed when they saw a resurrected Jesus. They became bold and empowered. And once the Holy Spirit came, they were unstoppable force that launched the church from a little distant place in the Middle East. Billions of people have come into the kingdom by embracing Jesus as the Messiah. What's that going to do for you? Look, you have to make a decision about Jesus. You can ignore it. You can embrace, but don't embrace Grandma Jesus, Enlightenment Jesus, Guru Jesus, Teacher Jesus. Please, I beg you. Embrace Jesus on his terms and what he said about himself and his own resurrection or ignore him. You can ignore him. Cultural icon, interesting thing, affected a lot of people. Fine, ignore him. But hanging on that cross, Jesus had one on his left and one on his right. When they first came, both of them were mocking Jesus. Somehow, midstream, one turns and says, no, we deserve what we're getting, and he didn't deserve what he got. Jesus, will you remember me when you come into your kingdom? And he said, today you'll be with me in paradise. We get no indication that the other guy did anything. Those are the two groups of humanity. The sneering, jeering, or just by apathy, couldn't care less. Ancient, distant, mythological figure. Or the other one that says, will you remember me when you come into your kingdom? Why? Because your kingdom is a forever kingdom. I could have Stacy and... Look, your kingdom is forever. You're raised. This is eternality, folks. This isn't just about Jesus helping you through your life. This is about Jesus transforming your heart and preparing you to live in a dimension that we cannot see called heaven. I impassioned plea, great preaching or bad preaching, depending on how you look at it. I don't know. Let me just tell you something. Many men and women, again, would stand here just as I have and said, Jesus has transformed my life from the inside out, and I'm not done yet. But each day I become a little more like him. And that's reshaping my whole family and my life. And I'll spend eternity with the risen Lord.